Hello, I'm Dr Kat Arney. This podcast is part of a mini-series of interviews with speakers from the 2022 Annual Conference of the Adelphi Genetics Forum, a learned society that aims to promote research and discussion concerning the scientific understanding of human heredity. Formerly known as the Galton Institute, and before that, the Eugenics Education Society, the society has changed its name to the Adelphi Genetics Forum to firmly reject and distance itself from the discredited and damaging ideas of its namesake, Francis Galton, widely viewed as the founder of eugenics. This year's conference, titled Living with the Eugenic Past, brought together expert speakers to grapple with the problem of how best to tackle the subject of eugenics. What are the demands of justice when it comes to the victims of eugenics? How should universities and other institutions involved in eugenics deal responsibly with that involvement? And can present-day biology education and research be improved to help safeguard the future from the mistakes of the past? Annika Lukasen is Professor of Genomic Medicine and Director of the Centre for Personalised Medicine at the University of Oxford, and also Professor of Clinical Genetics at the University of Southampton. Her talk, titled Genomic Medicine, Diverse Data and the Language of Race, Ancestry and Ethnicity, explored the issues caused by a lack of diversity in genomic databases, and the challenges of addressing this in a way that doesn't cause additional injustice and harm. I started by asking why it's so necessary to do this work. What I still see a lot is people expecting a genomic code to be able to predict things very clearly. And in my clinical work, I come across that a lot where I have to spend a lot of time telling people, well, actually, this test was not going to tell you as much as you hope it will. There's a lot of discussion at the moment about newborn screening and people expect that we'll be able to shed a a light on their newborn baby as to what illnesses it will get in the future, and it's a sort of blueprint. Um, So that's one area in healthcare. But actually, in this conference, I've been focusing on a real problem that I think is much under-recognised, that our knowledge about genomic medicine is very biased. So it's based on largely data collections and biobanks that are overwhelmingly um, Eurocentric. And there's been a lot of attempts to diversify data, but actually as time has gone on, the gaps got bigger. So more than 80% of all genomic studies and more than 95% of particular study called a GWAS study or that looks at particular markers in the genetic code are around the world are done of people of Northern European ancestry or European ancestry, whereas they actually form a, a minority population in the whole world. So I'm looking at why it's so difficult to make our genomic collections upon which we base genomic medicine more diverse and appropriate to populations other than myself of European ancestry. This kind of stuff, genomic data, personal data, health data, this has a real impact on people's lives. Are there some examples of how a failure to address this kind of diversity is is causing an issue. So in my talk, I gave two examples. One example I could hear people be quite shocked by, but it's a real example that wasn't a solitary example, which was of a um, social worker not knowing where to place a child that was up for adoption because she did not know its ancestry. And so she asked for a DNA test, an ethnicity test, to help to try and place it. And... Although people are shocked by that, I'm 
also not surprised by the wish to do so because of the plethora of adverts out there that advertise ancestry ethnicity testing now at a very cheap rate. So £35 you can get your ancestry test and that's advertised as a useful bit of information that knowledge is power, you'll find relatives that didn't know exist. So the advertising that's out there is so strong that I am not at all surprised that this might have seemed like a good thing for a busy social worker to be able to place a child up for adoption. So I talked about examples of why that didn't work and why that ancestry testing doesn't really help. So anything about our recent ancestors yet gives away the fact that we think ethnicity and genetic composition are one and the same thing. And I think we really need to look at that. And you mentioned there were two examples. Can you unpack the second example? The second example was of a woman who was of East African origin um, who had a very strong family history of breast cancer. And her genetic test did reveal some variants of uncertain significance that probably wouldn't have been of uncertain significance had she been of European ancestry. And she technically wasn't able to get screening on the National Health Service because she didn't meet the criteria but eventually she was given screening. But I think that highlighted how difficult it is to be able to provide the same level of interpretation for women of different ancestries. What are some of the issues and challenges with trying to do this, trying to diversify the genomic data that we hold about global populations? Yeah, I think there's two problems. One is that the initial databases that we set up were very Eurocentric, and they, because they're now the oldest, They've got the biggest um, amount of data, and they're often the ones that are able to release that data relatively easily. And so researchers around the world turn to that database, and that perpetuates the cycle a little bit. But I think the other big reason, of course, is a, a legacy of historical injustices to underserved communities that therefore don't trust genomic medicine in quite the same way as people in the UK might, and therefore are much more sceptical of why should they take part in this sorts of research ventures, meaning that, again, we don't collect that data. So I think we need much more co-production, looking at engaging with communities about what their issues are, what they would want from a venture. And that's not easy to do. It's much easier to send out a kit and try and collect a sample uh, without really going to have to do all the, the engagement, you know, populations elsewhere to try and diversify your collection. We're talking a lot more about the colonisation in the past, the way that, you know, some nations have gone and taken advantage of the resources of other nations. Is there a risk of genetic, genomic colonisation yeah. with these kinds of studies? I think that's such a good question, genomic colonialism. Uh, and I think that probably arguably exists to some extent already and that's why it's so important to have much more much richer conversations with other populations i don't you know, i feel even uncomfortable using the word other population but to if we're really genuine about diversifying genomic medicine through our understanding of genomes then we need to pay attention to those past injustices and the history of colonialism and really recognize that trust in these ventures will be very different based upon those historical injustices and that that needs to be incorporated into our approaches. We talk a bit about helicopter research where actually people, you know, helicopter in 
to an underserved population to try and collect a load of samples so that they can improve the diversity. That, I would suggest, is not the approach because that just leads to increased scepticism and lack of trust. It needs a much more in-depth engagement to be able to really uh, avoid those accusations of genomic colonialism. What does some of that best practice look like? Well, I suppose co-production, co-design, thinking all the time about both researcher, research institution and participant views so that they're engaging with each other. So, you know, I, I don't think there are any easy tick box solutions and that's why they haven't happened yet. And in a world that we're increasingly sort of trying to quantify, this actually needs some qualitative approaches and some interdisciplinary approaches that are taking advantage of disciplines like sociology and anthropology and really working in an interdisciplinary way to try and think about these issues rather than a pure scientific endeavour. There's been so much interest over the past, I guess, couple of decades about the possibility of bringing genomics into medicine. Oh, when we have this genetic information, we can do all this exciting stuff. We can find out about disease risks. We can find new targets. We can mm. develop new medicines. And that's all well and good. And I think we fall into the trap of like a universal positivist view of like, this kind of research is all good. Yeah. But when we start thinking about, well, you know, this isn't neutral information, we can do stuff with this information, whether it's about health or um, more controversially about traits. You know, mm. there are people researching socioeconomics and genetics and mm. um, education and genetics. How should we be thinking about this kind of information and, and guarding against the potential abuses of this information? I think there's about five questions there, aren't there? But I, I, you're absolutely right, the sort of genomic promissory or the imaginary around genomics just hasn't gone, has it? So ever since the first genome was deciphered, we've had this real sort of um, hype, if you like, around genomics about it's how, how it's going to solve everything. And technology has advanced and advanced so that actually we can now easily apply the technology. It's cheap, it's quick, and we can get a genetic code very quickly, but interpreting it, putting it to good use is the next step. I think we need much more debate, discussion about that. I think there are too many people in the genomics world who expect that a genome will speak for itself um, and that as long as you've got a genetic code, you'll be able to predict all sorts of things uh, clearly and uh, confidently when actually the opposite is true. That's really, you know, it misses the point that actually the interpretation of the genome is now the bottleneck, whereas previously the technology was. And each person has about 10,000 rare variations in their genetic code that can only really be interpreted in the context of signs or symptoms. And if you don't know how to bring those two together, then actually you're left with a lot of noise that doesn't predict anything very clearly. And then there's an extra problem there that when you're trying to interpret the genomic code of someone who isn't of a European ancestry, that that's even more difficult. There's more sort of noise because there's less knowledge about what that variation means. Are there any examples where data, data about people, personal information, genomic information is being gathered or used in, in ways that are not helpful and, and potentially are, are harmful? I, I still see ethnicity 
used as a proxy for some sort of genetic ancestry, whereas actually we know that ethnicity is a complex social construct that's much more um, to do with your geography and your religion, perhaps, and your community than your genetic ancestry. Yet, forms that we use regularly in daily practice and that are mandated within the NHS to be used often ask about skin colour, geography, and nationality as a means to try and assess whether enough diversity has been reached in a particular sample, when those questions should also be asking about sociodemographic factors, really, because I think everyone can see when you say it like that, that skin colour can't be the only measure of diversity. What do you think we as the genetics community should be vigilant for, to watch out for as we go forward in the, the era of genomic medicine and genomic data? I think we need to examine that genomic promissory and say, is that really where we want to go? Do we want to go to this magical future where a genomic code will tell us everything? Let's look at the steps along the way and let's think what it is that we really want to achieve. Can we get there by focusing less on number crunching, big data, AI, machine learning, and perhaps a bit more on interdisciplinary approaches, looking at the quality rather than the quantity to see how we integrate genomics into the real world. Thanks to Annika Lucasen. You can find out more about the Adelphi Genetics Forum, including their grants, awards and publications at adelphigenetics.org. You can check out the rest of this series on the Genetics Unzipped podcast feed. Just search for Genetics Unzipped on Spotify or wherever you get your podcasts. This series was produced by the team at First Create the Media. That's Kat Arney, Sally LePage and Emma Werner, with help from Ed Prosser and Frankie Pike. Our music is Drops of H2O by Jay Lang, licensed under Creative Commons. Thanks for listening and goodbye.